Thank you, thank you. Mark chapter 11 is where we are today, so if you'll find your place and whatever medium you are using to follow along as I read God's Word, whether it be a phone or a tablet or a good old-fashioned book, the way the Lord intended it, huh? All right. Mark chapter number 11, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 27. Now we've been doing this now for quite a while, and when we don't have one of my favorite pericope passages, you know, no matter what the story is, I'm into a pericope. Nothing like a good pericope, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like a variety of pear or something, don't it, Jerry? Might be pretty good to eat. Uh, Anyway... Came to one of those this week and I thought about Monday. You know, there's nothing in this passage. I I don't think anybody would notice if I just skipped and got to that next story. And then I get to looking at this thing and say, whoa, wait a minute. Hold on a second. We maybe not ought to step over this passage. So here we find ourselves today in Mark 11 verses 27 through 33. Beginning in verse 27, God's Word says, They, that is, Jesus and His disciples. Now get this, here's what they're doing. They're in Jerusalem for the Passover, it's the final week of the Lord's life. And, you know, there's not enough places to stay in Jerusalem, but they've got good friends that live just outside Jerusalem in Bethany, about two miles outside of Jerusalem. That is the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. So they are commuting every day back and forth between Bethany and Jerusalem. So here we go in verse number 27 when it says they came again to Jerusalem. That's what Mark means. Well, they came again from where they're staying, where their lodging is down in Bethany. So here they go. If we had to put this on a time frame of the last week of the Lord's life, we're probably about Wednesday. And you know what's going to happen on Friday. So the shadow of the cross is looming pretty large here. Verse 27. They came again to Jerusalem... And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and began saying to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I'll ask you one question and you answer me. And then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he'll say then, Why did you not believe him? But shall we say from men, they were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. Answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Unanswered questions. They're more than just a little nagging problem, are they not? I mean, when you have a question and you ask somebody and you really don't get a direct answer, how does that make you feel? It's kind of frustrating. And it's become a little bit comical to watch some of the venues today where questions are asked, especially of politicians. It's amazing to me today, and you know, it's got to where it it doesn't... It doesn't frustrate me anymore. I watch these guys and I'm amazed at how skilled they are in the fine art of evading a question. I mean, they can sidestep an issue. They can straddle a fence with expertise. And it's just amazing. 
But every now and then there will be somebody in the crowd that will say, Sir, with all due respect, you haven't yet addressed my question. You've been all around it and you haven't answered or you haven't spoken to the heart of the issue here, which is my question. I also love it when people hold somebody else's feet to the fire, kind of force them to answer the question that's on the table. Well, there's a lot of venues you can go to today and you're just not going to have your questions answered. But listen to me. Church ought not be one of them. You should not come to church and you certainly should not leave to church, leave church with unanswered questions. And here in this text, that's exactly what happened. The religious leaders had questions and the Lord had questions and neither of them had their questions answered. Man, what a tragedy when folk come to church and they're looking for answers and can't find it. There is no reason for anybody to come to church and leave with a nagging, unanswered question. I hope you don't. But I want to speak to you today on that subject. Leaving church with unanswered questions. And I want to show you from this text how unnecessary that is. I think this text addresses that in in the midst of all of these questions that are answered both by these religious leaders as well as by the Lord Himself. So what is it that this text teaches us about unanswered questions, especially at church? Well, I think the first thing we can see here in verse number 27 is that leaving church with unanswered questions is unnecessary when so much is happening. And by the way, I mean when so much is happening at church. You know, a church ought to be a place that's teeming with divine activity. Should it not be? I mean, that's who we are. Uh, We are the people of God. Uh, We, not this building, but we are the temple of God. And by virtue of the fact that we are God's people, He should be here. And if He's here, He should have the freedom to do some things. So there should be evidence that God is in the house and there should be a lot of things happening when He's here. And I think we can see that that's what happened when Jesus was in the temple. Notice what verse number 27 says again. As He was walking in the temple. So here we have the Lord of all glory in person in the physical temple in Jerusalem. And as He was walking there, these scribes and elders and chief priests, these members of the Sanhedrin come up to Him. And you know, they left that day with unanswered questions and they should not have because it's completely unnecessary when so much is happening. Well, you say, well, what was happening and what does happen when Jesus is among His people? Well, I think this text and some parallel passages answer that for us and I want to hold this to a minimum today, but here here we go. What is happening when Jesus is in the place? Number one, when Jesus is in the place... He cleans up the joint, does He not? Now, you remember last week how He did this. Uh, We see Him there and and uh, uh, He's kicking folk out. He's grabbing folk by the collar and He is throwing folk out of the temple courts because of what they were doing. So He cleaned the place up. By the way, when Jesus gets to cleaning up a place, word gets around. Did you know that? It just does. Uh, When there's divine activity, when God is among His people and He's doing things, 
One of the major things he does is cleans people up. Hey, listen, you don't have to clean yourself up to come to church. Just come, and if he's here, he'll do that. That's what he does. He cleans people up. Anybody here been cleaned up by the Lord? Man, come on. You see, that's what I'm talking about. He cleans the place up. And when he cleans the place up, word gets around. And that's what happened. You know, it was a talk of the town, what Jesus did down at the temple yesterday. Have y'all heard what he did? He was there and, and he was turning over tables. He was kicking people out. He was, he, he was, he was, he was preaching, firing messages, and he was telling us all sorts of things and teaching us things. And guess what? The next day the crowd was bigger. Now the Sanhedrin hears about it and they come down. They say, well, maybe we want to check out what's going on down at the temple. Wouldn't it be cool? If all the people who were two-stepping at the rodeo dance last night heard about Grace Church and wanted to check it out. You see, that's what happens when He is in the house and when He cleans people up. Hey, I would love to have people here in church next year that were at the rodeo dance doing the two-step last year. Now look, there ain't nothing wrong with doing a two-step. I might want to cut a rug up here today. Anybody want to join me? <laughs> But it is the other stuff that goes along with it. You know what I'm saying? I'm telling you. So that would be pretty cool. If next year there was a big crowd of people that's normally at that thing every year and folks say, well, where are they at? Well, they're down at Grace Church. What? They're down at Grace Church. How are them heathens down at Grace Church? Well, something's going on at Grace Church. The Lord got a hold of them and they're clean now. Man, wouldn't that be cool? And that's what happens when Jesus is in the house there's no need for unanswered questions when so much is happening. And one of the things that happens when he shows up is he cleans up the place. Number next, not only does he clean up the place, but I love Luke's version of this story because Luke tells us that he called out people. So here he is. Now, this is the last week of his life. He goes in, he cleans up the temple, and he's constantly calling out people. Just listen to what Luke says as he records the same story. I don't want you to turn there, but listen to Luke chapter, 20 verse, uh, Luke chapter 20, verse number 1. While he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel. See what he was doing? He was calling people out. That's what the gospel is. It's good news. And here he was of all places in the temple, calling people out and unto himself. You know, there is an, an unwritten code among preachers. And, and I have to say, I do agree with this to some extent, but I had, I had this philosophy challenged just the other day. You know, there's, there's this accusation that goes around among churches because churches are in competition today whether you know it or not. Uh, we don't know we're on the same team. We're competing with one another for some reason or another trying to build our, our own kingdom I guess. But there's this idea of going around that is completely sinful and almost blasphemous to steal sheep. Are you with me? And by steep stealing that means it's not ethical for us to go and try to get folk from another church to come to Grace Church. Uh, hear my heart. I want to grow Grace Church with people who've been cleaned up. People who've been called out. 
People who've been born again, who've been transformed, I really do. That's how we want to grow Grace Church. We don't want to grow by just swapping church members around. But listen to me. I was having lunch with an old boy the other day, and he got to talking about this idea of sheep stealing. He says, where does that even come from? He said, because let me tell you what Paul did. He said, Paul's pattern was when he went into a town, there were two places he checked out. First place he checked out was a synagogue. Second place was usually a jailhouse, right? That's where he ended up. <laughs> but here's what Paul would do. Paul would go into the synagogue and he would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my friend said, do you know what he was doing? I said, tell me. He said, he was rescuing people from a dead religious system. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's calling people out from a dead, at least dying, cursed maybe we can say based on what we looked at last week, religious system. So my friend said this. He said, Pastor Richie, if you've got a church where Jesus is doing things and where folk are being transformed, he said, don't you let anybody put guilt upon you because your church has people from another church that was dead and dying anyway. He said, our job is to rescue people from that type of religion. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to feel guilty about that again. Because he's exactly right. It's what Jesus did. He called people out of that dead and dying religion by the way which the day before he cursed. And let's don't get back on this stump. But man, I'm afraid that there's so much of what we do that's nothing but religious leaves. And Jesus has said, it's never going to bear fruit. It's going to shrivel up and die. Lord, have mercy on us if we ever get to that place at Grace Church. Huh? If there's no divine activity, if He's not here cleaning people up and calling people out, man, we might as well just shut the doors because I don't know about you, but I've had enough religion in my 56 years to do me. Are you with me? Here we go. Leaving church with unanswered questions is unnecessary when so much is happening. And I mean so much good stuff, so much divine activity, not church busyness but divine activity. Well, number next, not only is leaving church unnecessary when so much is happening, but leaving church with unanswered questions is also unnecessary when so little is required. So little is required. Hey, I hope you came today and you've got some burning questions in your heart. I really do. And notice what is required of you in order to have those questions answered. Watch me. What is required of you has nothing to do with intellect. It has nothing to do with smartness, mental aptitude, or intelligence. It doesn't. To get deep and burning questions answered from the Lord really isn't even incumbent upon our ability to discover or to track it out or to reason it out. Getting answers from the Lord is not depending, dependent upon us at all. It's dependent upon Him. Because you see, we get these type of answers from Him. They are divinely revealed to us through His Word by His Spirit. So why is it that so many folk come to church and they don't have their questions answered if it doesn't depend upon our intellect or our ability to track it out, but it depends upon Him Revealing to us through His Word, with His Word, which is, the, which is divine revelation, by the way, the only source of divine revelation. Why is it that so many folk leave 
confused. Well, here it is. Here's where they failed. Here's where I failed. Here's where we fail. What is required? Man, it's so little. So little is required of us to get answers to our questions. But here they are. First thing that's required is sincerity. Sincerity. Because, hey, have y'all ever, you, how many of you remember that old Rodney Dangerfield sketch, I never got a dinner? <laughs> well, me and you, Jerry, the only ones that remember it. But I want to play on that and talk about folk who never get an answer. And here we go. People with wrong motives never get an answer. Never get an answer. Now you just tell me, was these guys here, were these chief priests and elders and scribes, were they really wanting an answer from Jesus? Or were they just looking for something else to put in their gun to use for ammunition because they already knew what they were going to do with him? You see, constantly throughout Mark's gospel, they're coming and they're answering questions trying to trap him. Trying to get him to say something that they can use to justify the accusations what they're going to bring about him. So listen to me. People who are insincere, people with wrong motives, never get an answer from the Lord. They just don't. So if you're here today and you know, you're just seeking after answers because you want your curiosity tickled, I've got news for you. Jesus looks right through that and He says, I don't give answers to folk like that. These folk left, they had unanswered questions, and it's because of a lack of sincerity. Number next, so little is required. All you have to be is sincere with the Lord. Number two, honesty. What else is required? Honesty. And here you go. Here's somebody else who never gets an answer. People who willingly embrace lies never get an answer. Who willingly embrace lies. Now look how these guys did that. They knew the answer to the question, but they would not give it. They had rather lie to Jesus than they had tell Him the God's honest truth. So look what they did in verse number 33. Answering Jesus, they feigned ignorance. They said, we do not know. And can I say to you that people who had rather live a lie rather than embrace the truth never get an answer. You can read this book until you got it memorized forward and backwards. But if you're not sincere and you're not honest with the Lord, all you have done is is had an exercise in literary diversity because you'll get no spiritual answers. And here these guys were. They had rather embrace a lie. You know, there's a lot of folk today that had rather, that had rather continue to live the lie than embrace the truth and be honest with the Lord. I, I was reading after a guy not long ago and this is what he said. By the way, this guy happened to be the dean of Harvard, uh, of one of the science uh, schools at Harvard. And here's what he said. He said, today we realize that evolution and evolutionary theory is standing on shaky scientific ground. But get this. He said, but here at Harvard... We will continue to teach it as fact 
Because failure to do so means that we would have to embrace creationism and a sovereign creator and we will not do that. Now friends, that's an educated man. But you know, there's a lot of folk who are less educated than he who still willingly and knowingly had rather embrace a lie than simply be honest with the Lord. And can I say to you, those people will never, ever get an answer. I mean, think of all the evidence they have already had. Think of everything that Jesus has done up until now in the Gospel of Mark. And they're still holding on to this lie. Number next, what's required? Man, so little is required. There's no sense in having unanswered questions. Sincerity is required. Honesty is required. And then finally, courage. Courage. People who worry never get an answer. Now, you know what worry is based upon, don't you? Worry is based upon fear. Some unrealized fear. That's what causes us to worry. If, if we worry that we don't have enough money, it's because we're afraid we're going to run out and starve to death. I mean, there's always a fear. Fear is the root of all worry. Now, look at these guys. I want you to see how they were afraid and what they were afraid of. And remember this now. Remember that people who worry never get an answer. Notice what the Scripture says in verse number 32. And, and, and here's what's going on. They said, or verse number 32 says, But if we, say, if we shall say for men, and notice the parenthetical statement Mark puts in. They were what? They were who? They were afraid of the people. So courage is required if you expect to get an answer. All Jesus said is, men, step up to the plate. Bring your big stick. Answer my question, and then I will answer your question. I mean, man, that's a pretty good deal, isn't it? If you want Jesus to answer your question, He says, first, you answer mine. But here's what's required, courage. Have you ever read through the book of Joshua and seen how many times God says to Joshua, be strong and of good what? Of good courage. Listen to me. Cowards rarely, if ever, get spiritual answers. And I think the number one fear that keeps people in spiritual darkness and spiritually stunted is the fear of people. Isn't that the first fear they had? They were afraid of people. They weren't going to do this because clearly they were not courageous. They were cowards. They were afraid of the people. But you know, as I look at these guys, it's easy to point the finger at them. But how many times have I shied away from answering the Lord's call to service because I was afraid of what somebody was going to think. Because I was afraid of what somebody was going to say. And can I say to you, when we do that, the faucet of answers is turned off. These guys got no answer. Do you see that? They got no answer from the Lord. Man, you ever been there? You felt like you were praying and the heavens were brass? You're reading the book and it's like nothing seems to gel. 
Could it be because we're walking in the same path as these religious leaders were with Jesus? And a lack of courage caused silence on the part of the Lord. Well, number one, people who worry never get an answer. They were afraid of the people. The text plainly says that. But I think the second thing they were afraid of, they were afraid of losing power. I mean, stop and think. Sanhedrin was made up of 70 of the most powerful men at that time, at least in that region, especially in Jerusalem and in in Israel. 70 of the most powerful, influential men. And they weren't about to give up any of their influence or power. And do you know it's the same way with us today? We have a fear of losing control. And here's the reality. You know, when Jesus is the Lord of your life, you don't have control anymore. He does. And we're scared to death of surrendering control of our life to Jesus. But listen to me. You can trust Him. You had rather Him be controlling your life than you. Because hear me, He's sinless. He's perfect. He's never made a mistake. Hey, I've messed it up innumerable times this past week. Because I was more in control than I should have been. Lord, have mercy. May I give Him control of my life and not worry about losing power. You know, that same guy that I had lunch with that was talking to me about this false idea of sheep stealing, he also said to me, Do you know, Rich, there's only two ways that churches can be organized and structured today. He said, every church that exists today is organized and structured for one of two things. It's either structured and organized for control or for growth. And he said, it can't be both at the same time. And then that conversation just replays in my mind over and over and over because he's so right. Does anybody have experience with the church where you couldn't do anything unless the grand boss gave you permission? <laughs> I mean, I've got friends that are pastoring churches today that can't buy a roll of toilet paper if it runs out in the bathroom stalls without permission from seven or eight or nine or ten men who've had control of that church for the past 50 years. And son, can I say to you, <laughs> that type of church normally gets no answers from the Lord because it's all about control. It's all about power. And here these boys were. Well, people who worry never get an answer. These guys were afraid of people, number one. They were afraid of losing power, number two. Number three, they were afraid of losing their position. Hey, if if, if we admit that this guy is who he he says he is, then all of a sudden our position is, is outdated. It's irrelevant. It's no longer necessary. And they weren't willing to give up their position. They weren't ready, willing to give up their standing. And here's the deal. What they were trying to keep, you know they lost it anyway. It wasn't just a few years later that that whole system that had been cursed was wiped out and they lost it anyhow. Hear me. Whatever you lose today in status and in position by being honest with the Lord Jesus Christ, 
you will by far make up more of it. Are you with me? But if you are afraid of losing it, you're going to lose it anyway. It's going to be gone anyhow. So what do you rather do? You'd rather give it to Jesus and let Him rebuild your life or you'd rather hold on to what you have already? And here's the thing. You know, most, most of us, it's like, let's make a deal. You can't get what Jesus has for you. And by the way, His plan for your future is better than you could draw out on a piece of paper for yourself. He wants exceedingly, abundantly above all that you're able to ask or think. You can't even fathom what He wants to do in your life. And you're telling me you're going to hold on to your plans? Hey, this ought to be like, let's make a deal. You just won two billy goats and a, and a Jersey milk cow. But now, are you willing to trade those two billy goats and that Jersey milk cow for what's behind door number two where Carol Merrill is now standing? You remember that old show? Now Wayne Brady does it. Carol Merrill's no longer there, but nonetheless, you get the idea. Well, look at here. No matter what you've got, you'd be better off trading it for what Jesus wants to give you. It's not going to be a zonk behind there like it is on Let's Make a Deal. I promise you, it's not going to be. But here's the thing. You can't get what He wants until you give Him what you have. Until you're willing to give it up, then you'll just have what you have. And if you keep it, you're going to lose it anyway. I mean, that's all there is to it. One of our presidents back in the days when we had wise presidents. Anybody remember that? Y'all remember the day when we just had wise men governing the United States of America? Here's what one of them said. He was a believer, by the way, and here's what he said. He said, I had rather lose today in an enterprise that's ultimately going to win than I had win today within an enterprise that's ultimately going to lose. Now stop and think about that. If you're holding on to what you have, you are involved in something that's ultimately going to lose. You might lose a little bit. You might lose position. You're going to lose power of your life because He's going to have it. But hear me. What you're gaining is going to be ultimate victory. Don't hold on to what you got. Make the trade with Him. Check it out. Got to run. Leaving church with unanswered questions. It's unnecessary when so much is happening. It's unnecessary when so little is required, that is, to get our questions answered. And then finally, it's unnecessary when so much is at stake. When so much is at stake. Hey, Jesus is asking the questions now. And there's a whole lot at stake and we can't sidestep, we can't feign ignorance, we can't straddle the fence. What are we going to do? Because so much is at stake. Hey, listen to me. Eternity might be at stake. Probably is at stake. And so little is required. Sincerity, honesty, and courage. So Jesus says to them, I'll ask you one question, you answer my question, and then I'll answer yours. And notice how that plays out. Man, there's so much at stake and Jesus knows it. Therefore, He demands an answer. He demands an answer. Check out what, what verses 29 and 30 say. 
Jesus says, I'll ask you one question and underline this. You answer me. And then look in verse number 30. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. And I bet he said it just like that because both of those verbs are in the imperative mood. That means they're a command. That means he is demanding an answer. And by the way, failure to give the right answer is an answer. (laughs) Failure to give an answer at all is an answer. And it's going to get you a response and it's not going to be probably the one that we're looking for. So we can't just say, oh, I'll deal with that later. No, listen, Jesus demands an answer. It's almost as if he's saying, look at me. Answer me. He's standing in front of those guys demanding an answer. Number two, he put them in a dilemma. You see the dilemma they were in? Jesus took their question and turned it around and put them in a lose-lose situation. The only way they could come out of this is answering Jesus honestly because they had no other option. And can I say to you that if Jesus is asking you a question, the only way you have out, the only way to turn it into a win-win is by being honest with Him, sincere with Him, and having the courage to give Him the correct answer. Check out what else he did. He put them in a dilemma. They were in a lose-lose situation. And then Jesus calls for a decision. Check it out. I love this, the way this scenario played out. Verse 31 says, They began reasoning among themselves. So here's what they did. Here's Jesus. He stands there and he says, Answer me. And now here you got these muckety-mucks, and they're coming down looking at Jesus asking him a question as if they are somebody, saying, we are the prestigious, educated ones. You're a little country bumpkin. You've never even been to the Baptist College of Florida. So you have got to answer this for us. And Jesus says, I don't have to answer anything until you answer my question. So he puts that question out there, and then here's all these religious guys in their robes and in their garments. Can't you see them? They probably look like the Los Angeles Raiders. They huddled right there in the middle of the temple. And they begin to say, all right, if we say this, we're going to do this, we do this, we're going to do this, what are we going to do? And the whole time Jesus is standing right here calling for a decision. They're in the huddle and they rightly surmised they were in a lose-lose and they still were not willing. They still embraced a lie. And they said, we do not know. Now look, you, you, you can only lie to yourself. You can't lie to Him. Right? He... He knew that they were lying. So guess what he says? On the basis of no honesty, on the basis of no courage, on the basis of no sincerity in them, man, they got no answer. And I want to tell you, I love dealing with honest people rather than people who lie. I had rather sit down with lunch tomorrow and have lunch with somebody who says... No, sir, never been to church. I don't care to go to church. I love drinking old Milwaukee's. And I say, hey, we're in a good place because you're being honest. Rather than somebody who will sit down at lunch with me and say, yeah, preacher, I'm saved. Now, I'm not involved in anything. I ain't been to church probably in 10 or 15 years. I hadn't picked up my book, my Bible, and read it in at least that long. 
But yeah, I'm going to heaven when I die. Which one of those guys you'd rather have lunch with tomorrow? I can tell you, give me the heathen who will just be honest. And that's all Jesus is asking for for these guys, for honesty. And they lied to him. So check it out. Jesus demands an answer. Hey, he will not let us sidestep this issue. He demands an answer from every one of us. He'll arrange our circumstances so we're in a dilemma. We're in a lose-lose situation. And then he calls for a decision. What is your answer? What is your decision? And then finally, check it out. If you do not answer, your request is denied. They wanted an answer from Jesus. But unless they were willing to give an honest answer, Jesus was not willing to give them an answer. And could that be the reason why so many folk come to church today and leave in spiritual darkness and in spiritual confusion? I've had several folks say to me lately as we've been preaching through Mark, Pastor Richie, I don't understand how folk can come and listen to that and not be moved. And here's the answer. Because they're not willing to be honest and sincere and courageous. So they leave in, spiritual, in a spiritual funk, in confusion, and in darkness. Here are some questions that I... You know, I begin to think, what, what questions are Jesus... What, what is He asking of Grace Church today? By the way, good topic for Grace Groups. What is He asking Grace Church today? If He says, I have one question for you, Grace Church, what would it be? Well, listen, I, I just looked through Scripture and I took some... Scriptural examples of questions that the Lord asked. Here's the very first question that the Lord asked in the Bible. It's found in Genesis 3 when man had sinned and he's hiding behind fig leaves. Here's a question for you. Write it down. Where are you? Where are you? So maybe Jesus is asking you today saying, Hey, where are you? And by the way, you know the omniscient, all-knowing God of glory never ask a question because he doesn't already know the answer. He's not asking because he's expecting you to inform him of something that he doesn't already know. He's asking a question just to see if you're going to be honest. Am I right? So it could be that he's saying to some of us today, where are you spiritually? Look around. Are you living in the fruitless, dry, and barren wasteland? Or are you like a fruitful tree that's planted by a river? Where are you? Could be a question that Jesus is asking today. But here's another biblical question that the Lord asked. Who do you say that I am? I mean, who am I? Am I, am I a teacher? Am I a prophet? Am I a carpenter? Am I just a historical figure? Who am I? And again, he's not asking because he, he has amnesia and don't know. He's wanting to see if you'll be honest based on the evidence that has been provided. Here's another biblical question. Jesus may be asking some of us today, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? You see, that's a soul-searching question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but yet 
you don't do what I say. See, all of a sudden we're in a dilemma. There's no good answer for that except to be honest with him. Another biblical question. The prophet asked this, How long will you halt between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, then serve Him. If Baal is God, then serve Him. But here's what God's saying. I hate mediocrity. I hate fence straddling. I'd rather you go off the deep end than be a phony hypocrite acting like you're serving me while your heart's full of idols. If I'm God, serve me. If something else is God, then go serve that. But here's the deal. No one can serve two masters. Another question that I found as I just went through my Bible. Here's a question that God asked. What's a good one for ascending church, isn't isn't it? Who will go for us and whom shall I send? Maybe the Lord's asking that of Grace Church. Here's a couple questions that Pastor Richie wants to throw out there to you before we take part in the Lord's Supper. A few more questions. If not today, when? If not this, then what? If not you, then who? And if not here, then where? Pray with me, please. Father, our prayer is that you are going to be doing so much at Grace Church that divine activity is going to be so evident that not a soul will leave here with the burning questions of life unanswered. So God, would you help us realize that there's so little required? You just ask these guys to be sincere. You ask them to be honest. And you ask them to be courageous. So God, would you build those three characteristics into our heart? And we know that when we have that, that there will not be a question that we have that pertains to spirituality and eternity that you'll not be willing to answer for us. Many of us are hearing you say today, I'll ask you one question. You answer me, and then I will answer you. So God, could we rise to the occasion today and answer the call and answer the question in Jesus' name.